This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. If you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, and we're thinking of witnesses, but before we can witness for Christ, Christ must do a work in our own lives. And Mark chapter 8, we'll begin reading a well-known passage. Mark chapter 8 and verse number 22. Mark chapter 8 and verse 22. And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him. And besought him to touch him. And, met, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your goodness to us. Thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you for a commission to declare the gospel to the ends of the world and the purpose and command you have on our lives. Father, I pray that Christ would be lifted up, and I pray the gospel would be clear this morning. And Father, I pray again you would renew the command and call on our lives to gospel work. In your name I pray. Amen. There's a story of a young Morse code operator who was applying for a position. And he walked into a busy office and much to his dismay, there were several other applicants in front of him in line. And he thought, I will never get this job, but I have nothing better to do. So he, he sat down and waited his place in line. The other applicants had been there for several hours and so he just waited after about 20 minutes this young applicant who had just come in promptly stood up and went into the manager's office which was in the center of the busy room and the other people were pretty annoyed by that uh, cutting in line and were determined to have a word with him when he came out well after another 20 minutes or so the manager came out with his arm around the young applicant he said gentlemen thank you for your interest in the position but the position has now been filled. And the man had been sitting there for the longest. Uh, he said, hold on a minute. I've been sitting here for hours, was never given in so much as an opportunity to share my experience or my qualifications. This is simply not fair. And the employer said, I'm sorry, but the last several hours while you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand this message, then come right in. The job is yours. None of you heard it or understood it. This young man did. The job is his. And that's just an illustration of how often can things be right in front of us. Things we should see. Things we should understand. And yet, in a sense, we're blind to them. Jesus is begging his disciples uh, to look at verse number 18, please, of our text. The same question. Having eyes, see ye not. And having ears, hear ye not. And do ye not remember? And Jesus is highlighting to them, not only is there a physical blindness, there is a spiritual blindness. 
And Jesus is asking his disciples, listen, I've been with you three years. I've taught you. I've poured out my heart to you. There's things you should understand according to the word of God that you seem blind to. And most tragically, if we suffer from spiritual blindness, meaning we do not view life through the lens of God's truth, we make foolish decisions, but most tragically, we simply fail to see the lost as truly lost. And I'm humbled to be speaking to Good News Baptist Church on missions, because I remember coming here two years ago, and I remember being struck with the emphasis on missions and then seeing the flags this morning. I know that missions is a big deal already with your church. I know it is an emphasis and it is a passion, but if, if you're like me, so often I grew up in missions and now I am a missionary, so often my life can reflect missions, but there is an urgency that I so quickly lose. There's a passion for the gospel work, a practical action that becomes missing in my life to where I say without saying, what well, I would never officially say, that if they never hear the gospel, they'll be okay. And what is needed, I believe, is that the Lord would awaken our sight to see a lost and dying world as he sees a lost and dying world. Leonard Ravenhill said, no man lives beyond his vision. Proverbs 29 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so as the Lord heals this man from physical blindness, may we beg the Lord, Lord, would you heal my sight from spiritual blindness? And Lord, would you constrain me from, from going through life without viewing the world and without viewing the lost as you would view them? And so three simple points this morning. Notice firstly, Christ's separating work. Christ's separating work in verse 22 and he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And so, this, this blind man comes to Christ, excited that Jesus is now in his town, and Bethsaida, and Jesus, I believe, wants to do the miracle in his life. Jesus wants to do a great work, and he wants to meet him out of faith. But before he does the miracle, almost strangely, Jesus takes him outside of the town to perform the miracle. And it begs the question, why? Uh, Jesus' brothers taunted him in uh, John chapter 7, If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. Jesus told the nation of Israel, If you don't believe me for my word's sake, at least believe me for my work's sake. And so why would Jesus do this miracle out of the town? And we understand that this was not Christ's first time to Bethsaida. Turn back just two chapters, please, to Mark chapter 6 and verse number 45. We see a, a prior time. And straightway, Mark chapter 6 and verse 45, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And for sake of time, skip over to verse 53. And when they had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret and drew to the shore. And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him and ran through the whole region round about. And began to carry about in beds those that were sick where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities and streets and besought him 
sorry, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. So a prior time to, to Bethsaida, the, it's a much different scenario. There is an excitement. There is an anticipation. And they literally line the streets with people just reaching out if they could just touch the hem of his garment. And I'm so grateful that God always meets us at our faith. And when we are needy, when we are poor and needy and needing God to work, God answers and God meets us and God does a great work because of their faith but there's a change between chapter 6 and chapter 8 I believe it's a turning of the Jewish nation look at back in chapter 8 in verse number 11 chapter 8 in verse number 11 and the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him seeking of him a sign from heaven tempting him and he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And it wasn't that Jesus wouldn't give them a sign. Rather, Jesus had, had given them hundreds of signs. And Jesus had over and over proved himself to be the Messiah. And still they reject him. And still they question him. And so now we come to verse 22 in our text and he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And we see a much different scenario. Now instead of them lining the streets with people to be healed by Christ, now there's one man in Bethsaida, and he's not from the town, and they go from begging God to directing God. Lord, here, here's this blind man. Go, go over and, and touch him. And I believe God wants to do a great work. And God wants to heal his sight and, and prove himself. But before he does that, God separates him. And he brings him from the crowd of complacency. And I believe we see that God is longing to do a separating work in our lives. And yes, God wants to open our eyes. And yes, God wants us to be people of vision and people who are moved to action. But God will not do a work in our lives when we come to Him casually. And God will not do a work in, in a miracle in our life when we come to Him with an air of complacency or we come to Him irreverently or out of simple routine, but rather when we come to the presence of Almighty God, we must see Him high and holy and lifted up. And it is only when we come to Him in a spirit of worship that God is able to do any work in our lives. And so God begins a, a separating work, separating him from the crowd of indifference, from the crowd of comfort, and calling him to be with him. I love that the separating work of Christ, yes, sometimes it is a painful work. It is the, the work where God is continually calling us to him and calling us to see him as he is. It is in the negative, but it is much more in the positive. It is the call to be with him. And yes, we see the glory of Christ where we fall on our knees and we fall on our faces and we see Him as our Lord and our Master. But if we only see the Lord high and holy and lifted up and we do not see His love, we also do not know Him. For God is love. Look at the gentleness of Christ. Verse 23, And He, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. 
And Jesus says, I want, I want you to know that I'm not going to work in, in a crowd of indifference, but I also want you to know that, that I love you. And I also want you to know that I care for you. And I also want you to know that I'm here for you. And we see that God calls him to be with him. And I believe we see a beautiful picture this morning that vision does not come from being crowded by people, but rather from being alone with the Savior. And if we are alone with the Savior, our hearts will be affected and connected to a love that is foreign to us. No person can long be with the Savior without themselves also being affected to care for the lost. Because if we would go with Christ, we also must needs go through Samaria. If we would go with Christ, we will see Him. And He is, when He, when he saw the multitudes, He's moved with compassion because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. If we would go with Christ, we would hear Him rebuke us and say, Suffer the little children to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of God. You see, we cannot long be with Christ, truly with Christ, truly be in His presence without our hearts being changed. And our hearts, of course, are changed to see Him as He is, but our hearts are changed to love them as they are. And God works in our hearts and He changes us. And we, the, the, the litmus test of us being in Christ's presence is the love for the lost. He was, if we say that we love God whom we have not seen and love not our, our brother whom we have seen, the Bible says we, we are liars. But Mark chapter 3 says, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. Acts chapter 17, Those that turned the world upside down, when they saw them, the high priest saw them, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And I'm simply saying, Christ's separating work is, is the call to be with him. And our burden for missions and our, and our vision, it will not be changed by merely looking at the crowds, but it is by the first being with him. And then as we are with him, God changes our heart. Uh, missionary zeal... Roland Allen wrote, does not grow out of intellectual beliefs, nor out of theological arguments, but out of love. And the only love of capable of reaching a lost and dying world with the gospel is not me deciding to love, but rather me being a channel of Christ's amazing love. Can I ask you, are you allowing Christ to do his separating work in your life this week of Mission Conference? Is Christ drawing you unto himself where, where he is Lord in your life? Can I, can I tell you that the separating work of Christ, it begins at the cross. And it begins by you knowing for sure that you are on your way to heaven. And it begins by 1 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And then it continues with us daily renewing our minds so that we freshly view Christ as our Savior. But secondly, notice not only Christ's separating work, notice secondly Christ's, and this is in the text here, uh, so excuse me, Christ's spitting work in a verse number 23. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw 
art. And uh, one of my very favorite hobbies to do is I absolutely love mountain biking. And so that was one of the things I had to give up uh, when I came back to America. And so uh, we'd be driving on debutation and I'd say over to my wife, I'd say, oh, that's a beautiful, beautiful bike, babe. That's a, that's a Cannondale, that's a track, that's got a double suspension. And so she finally got so frustrated, she said, just go buy yourself a bike. And so found the perfect used bike on a Craigslist there. And I was riding through the Prince William Forest in Northern Virginia, and I forgot to wear eye protection. And so um, I got a tiny speck of something in my eye, and my wife soon found out I can be a hypochondriac because I thought I was going blind. I rushed back to, the, back to our house, and uh, we proceeded to watch YouTube videos, and we used everything we could possibly think of, uh, cotton pads, Q-tips, and it was not coming out. And at which point I started suggesting the emergency room, and she says, oh, no, it's fine, we'll get it. And so she finally took a washcloth and sort of just gouged it out. I'm surprised my, uh, my eye didn't go with it. But I am glad that she was not reading Mark chapter 8 and did not take uh, the Lord's uh, modus operandi here of spitting in my eye. And that's just a little uh, facetious. But um, why did Christ spit in his eye? And in no other miracle did Jesus spit on somebody's eye. And so I, I imagine that the man had heard of Christ's miracles and he spoke and it was done or he touched him and it was done. And so I imagine he was expecting the Lord to, in, in the city of Bethsaida to, to touch him and, and everything's grand, everything's good to go. And we understand that Christ did not work when he was expecting him to work and neither did Christ work how he was expecting to work. I think we see here simply the requirement of surrender. And we understand that God wants to work in our lives. God was after this man. God was leading this man, guiding this man. But if God is going to do a work in our lives, it's not just a one-time obedience, but rather Christ had begun the work in his heart. He'd begun the, to, to work in his life, and yet if he would continue with God, there was a need for continual surrender. There was a need for constant surrender, and, and I think we have to be careful when we come to missions conference. I know I have to be careful because I have a, a predisposed a commitment a predisposed perhaps increase in my missions giving. And, and I've, I've almost already decided what I'm going to do when what God is asking me to do. But if God is truly going to speak to our lives and, and, and awaken our sight to see the lost as they are, I believe we must come again to the place of surrender where we say, God, again and again and again, whatever your will is for my life. Lord, I've discovered that, that your will is not often what I would choose, but I'm discovering that your will is so much better than mine. And we see the requirement for surrender. If God would work in our lives in a fresh way, we must be surrendered, completely surrendered to his will. And surrender is not a, a one-time decision that we make in youth camp, but rather it is a daily decision. Luke 9, 23, and he said to them, If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. We also see in Christ's spitting work the reminder of people. And Jesus asks him in verse 23, and he asked him if he saw it. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. And some theologians 
I wonder, uh, you know, why did Christ heal this man partially? Um, well, there's three options. Uh, number one, either Christ made a mistake. Well, that's not an option because our, our God makes no mistakes. But some people hypothesize, well, perhaps this man had a, had a weak, uh, timid faith. And so he, because he trusted God partially, he got a partial answer. And he saw everything else fine, but he couldn't see people right. And yet, James chapter 1 teaches, he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So we either trust God or we don't. And so the only third option is that it was intentional of the Lord. Why did the Lord heal this man's sight so that he could see everything but people correctly? I believe uh, that when this man said, I see men as trees walking, Jesus responded, absolutely. Because what a waste it would be if I restored only a life to former comforts and your life was not changed to the divine pursuit of sinners. And aren't you so grateful that in a similar way that we can take our problems to the Lord. I don't know, it's often been said you're either in a trial or coming out of a trial or getting ready to go into a trial and we can pour our hearts before the Lord and we can trust the Lord and, and God always meets us at our faith. I'm so grateful that God is growing my Ebenezer and God is growing my experience of His faithfulness. But oh, for the times that God would constrain us after He works in our lives and that he would allow us to hear the still, small voice. Because I believe when God is working in, in our lives, He's also speaking. And I believe a great part of what He's speaking is, what about the people all around you? Can't you see the people all around you? And I'm grateful that God works in our lives sometimes to where He won't let us go. And He won't let us continue. And He won't let us simply go back to how we were. But He points us to a problem. And He points us to this man. He points this man to the simple truth that, hey, you're seeing people wrongly. You're not seeing them for, for the spiritual needs that they are. And can I ask you, when you look at the people of your community, do you see trees? When you look and, and, and you, we watch the videos and, and we, we see the people all around us and all around the world, can I ask you, what do you see? Are, are they souls for whom Christ has died? To see people as trees, I believe, is to see people physically and not spiritually as souls approaching eternity. It is to forget eternity. And Jesus says, hey, you're seeing them, but you're not seeing them correctly. You've, we think we are seeing them correctly. Would you turn back to Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 48. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 48. Again, a classic text of scripture on vision. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 48. My eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 50. Till the Lord look down and behold from heaven, mine eye affecteth mine heart, 
because of all the daughters of my city. And of course, Jeremiah writes Lamentations. And Jeremiah was the prophet who foretold, again, the impending judgment of God. God's judgment is coming, and he follows in a long line of prophets. But Jeremiah is unique that he witnesses the destructions he warns of. And what brought tears to Jeremiah's eyes, what caused him to see the people, was that he saw the judgment he foretold. And I believe, what is it that causes us to see men as they are? It is to be reminded over and over that it is, if they do not hear the gospel, they cannot be saved. And it is to remember the spiritual eternity, the real eternity of spiritual judgment approaching them. But seeing men as trees is not only remembering that they are spiritually in great need of the gospel, but also... Seeing men as trees is to see people spiritually as souls and simply not care. This is probably the category I fall into more often. I, I understand the implications of the gospel. I understand that it, Christ is the only way, neither is there salvation in any other. I understand those realities and, and, and it, is, it is incumbent on me to go with the gospel. But so often, my heart's not moved. And to see men as trees walking is to see them. It is to know that they're approaching an eternity, either with Christ or apart from Christ, but it is to see them and not be moved. It is the difference of having pity and being moved with compassion. What is blindness? It is to hear of 7.8 billion people and simply pause. It is to hear of one soul slipping into eternity every two seconds and Simply say, terrible. It is to hear of unreached people groups and say, fascinating. It is to know of co-workers and never weep for their soul. It is to have teammates on your soccer team and never once speak of Christ. It is to sit at a restaurant and hesitate to hand out a gospel tract. It is to hear God say, whom shall I send? And not beg God, hear my Lord, send me. And so Jesus was bringing this man to a place to where he realized his blindness. And he asks him, do you see anything? And the man says, I see everything, but I, but I see people wrongly. What is it that God is asking us to do uh, to see the world as we ought? I believe God is simply asking us to admit our blindness. And this man just said, Lord, I have a problem. And Lord, I, I'm, I've not lived as I ought. I've not seen them as I ought. And Lord, I, I don't know how to change my sight. I don't know how to change my life to, 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 to obey and live in light of the gospel. But Lord, I'm asking you, I'm admitting to you, Lord, heal my sight. And when he admitted, if you turn back in Mark chapter 8, when he had simply admitted his blindness, in verse number 25, the Lord heals him. And after that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. The Lord has the ability to heal our eyes. The Lord wants to heal our eyes. He wants for us to see uh, the people in our community, to see our neighbors, and to see the people on, on the mission field. He wants us to see them for their great spiritual need. But he cannot heal our sight 
until we come to Him and admit our problem. And if we'll admit it, the Lord will work in our heart and will work with our lives. Well, how is it that He works in our hearts? How is it that He opens our eyes? I believe God gives us a heart for the work, and then He gives us the work. Notice in closing, verse 26, And He sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. And thirdly, Christ's sending work. That doesn't seem like too much of a sending verse until we put it in its context. In the very next verse, Jesus goes down to Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And remember, Peter says, Thou art the Christ. And the Lord says, um, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And so I, I believe we see a progression here. And the Lord, He continually offers, goes to Bethsaida, and He goes to Jerusalem, and He preaches the gospel, and they continue to reject Him. And so Jesus tells this man, He says, I want you to go, but listen, don't go where the gospel's already been preached. Don't go where I've shared the gospel. And we see here that Christ desire that all might hear the gospel. And we understand that missions is not our good idea because of gospel need, but missions is the heart of God, and it is the command of God. Oswald Smith says, No one has the right to hear the gospel twice, while there remains someone who has not heard it once. And I believe this is a precursor of the Great Commission, but if you miss it here, don't miss it in Mark 16, where Jesus says plainly, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But we also see here, the Lord brings the man to a place where he says, I've been seeing people wrong. I've been seeing men as trees. I've been seeing them physically and not spiritually for their great need of the gospel. And when he admits it, the Lord heals his vision, heals his sight, but he revealed, Christ reveals a specific place of service. Christ tells this man in verse 26, and he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to any in the town. Christ told him where to go, and Christ told him where not to go. And when we comes to missions, can I remind you that if, if we will come to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I've, I know I've been doing this wrong. Lord, I want you to change me. And we'll surrender to the Lord and understand that God's ways are different than our ways. God will always always give us a job to do. And God will give us a place of service. If you'd uh, finish uh, turning to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, our theme for this conference. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And sometimes we, we ask the Lord, Lord, uh, where is it that you'd have me to serve? And that's a good question, but that's not the whole question because the word there is both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, except for my mom, I don't think you can be in two places at once. And so, what is God calling us to do? Well, God has a Jerusalem for every person. It could be here in Chesapeake. Maybe God's calling your Jerusalem 
to, a, to, an, to be in uttermost parts of the earth. But there's also, God is calling us to give so that others can go in our place. Because just as I'm called to Ireland, I'm called to reach Brazil. And I'm called to reach Turkey. And I'm called to reach France. And so we are called to go. And God has a place for each one of us. And we are called to, to hand out gospel tracts. And we're called to be witnesses right where God's placed us. But then we're also called to give. So others can go. And so the gospel can be preached to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so I'm just asking this morning, how is your vision? And when you look at the world around you, do you first and foremost see a spiritual need? Because so often my default is I focus on the physical needs, and those are important, but the greatest need is the spiritual need, and the greatest need is the gospel. And if we are not seeing men as we ought to, God is not guilt-tripping us, but he's calling us to recognize it. He's calling us to admit it and say, Lord, Lord, whatever your will is for my life, Lord, I'll do that. Please help me not to see men as trees. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.